0: Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim
1: and Jacko. That's right, we're back with another podcast, it's Tim and Jacko, and this week we get serious.
0: We do get serious. We're, it's like not a Q&A in terms of lots of questions. We're focusing and dialing in on one question or one big topic that we wanted to uh, take a deep dive into. And that topic, Tim, is...
1: Should you train to failure?
0: And as you will probably expect, it isn't a one word, yes or no answer. Um, It also isn't just a, it depends answer. We go into some detail for you. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. If this is a question, we've had a lot of people asking it. Um, It's something that we talk about quite a lot and something hopefully that you'll find very insightful during the podcast.
1: It's definitely going to recover, recover, require. A little recovery. bit. It's going to yeah. If you're going to failure, you're going to want to recover. Oh, this intro is going so well.
0: It's all right. Roll with it.
1: It's going to require a little bit of self-reflection because you're going to sit back and actually look at your own training, think about your own training practices, and to be honest, that is where the real value is in everything that we do of recognizing that it is a process how does this fit for me? What am I doing? What are my preconceptions around training? What are the practices that I put in place? And how can you improve your training to move forwards and train effectively, more intelligently? Not that you don't do that already, but be more intelligent with your training.
0: So sit back, relax, and get ready to become more intelligent with your training.
1: Yeah, I would just like to say that we are more coherent than I have been in that intro <laughs> as the podcast begins, and also it's been good because it gets quite serious. This more lighthearted will at least make you feel like, oh, that is Tim and Jacko, not really? too yeah, serious. Because yeah. the rest of it is like I'm the literally two guys. in science mode for the next forty minutes. So sit back, as Jacko said, enjoy.
0: Roll the jingle. So today it is just me and the aka Tim and Jacko and we've had so a question. we're going to open up a reasonably interesting topic of should we train to failure? And uh, it's a question that we talk about ourselves quite a bit, but something that comes in from you, the listeners, and in particular, uh, very specifically last week, we had from Reese Davies, the legend from Down Under in, the, in Australia, asking this very specific question around, should he train or should we train to failure? What are the pros and the cons? And so... This wasn't a one-word answer, so we thought we'd open it up on the podcast in a slightly new style uh, podcast I say that we're happy, uh, looking to run with where we talk about one topic in a little bit more detail and uh, let Tim sort of open up that bag of worms. <laughs> bag of worms? Can of worms?
1: I probably have more like got a got- bag of worms <laughs> than a can <laughs> of worms. Um, it's, it is a really interesting question, and it's one that when Reese asked it, I had to sort of check myself a little bit and go, well, what do I, th- what do I think about that? And and there's a lot of things that we do as a strength and conditioning coach where you intrinsically sort of program a certain way. And, and it, it, this was a it was a really interesting question that we've gone through and gone, well, what does it actually look like when you, when you think about training to failure? And I think the first really important part is, is to contextualize, like define failure. Like, what are we talking about when we, when we're actually talking about training to failure? And that ties into what we need to think about around our percentage repetition max or the level of intensity. Now this gets cloudy in calisthenics because we don't always get to kind of very accurately hit sort of like some of these because it's not as simple as going well, back squat, how much weight you're going to put on, test your 1RM like and, and work very specifically off a 1RM baseline number and then we're going to go 80% of our 1RM, that's going to mean we can do 8 repetitions or whatever. Kind of say it's a little bit more difficult but the principles still still apply but just to kind of to frame it up if going if you're trying to do eight reps failure means you can't do eight reps that's how I, I kind of see it so yeah. it, that eighth rep might be an absolute flipping squeeze to get it out but if you complete it it's not failure you might have not have got a ninth one in but if you hit seven when you're meant to do eight that's failure in my mind. I don't, yeah. what do you think about yeah, that?
0: it's, it's probably what we used to term or our S and C coach used to term when I was playing rugby as the red zone. It would be like, welcome to the red that you are. We were always encouraged to be in the red zone and we can probably go. Um, that's, that's almost like another, another whole topic around like mentally, like can people go into that, into the red zone is, is probably another, another topic. But, um, what we want to talk what we want to sort of go into is like what are what are the what are the pros and cons of getting that close to your limits in terms of your ability in this particular strength exercise or position or whatever it is that you're doing um because in calisthenics there's like you said there's quite a few differences because there's there's a little bit of a difference between an isometric hold and repetitions um and I think that one of the first things, just adding into what you're saying about just contextualizing what that is, there's also the first thing that springs to mind for me is that there's there's a big difference between me failing on um, more of a maximal strength exercise like handstand push-ups against the wall where uh, I might only be able to do five compared to me failing, going to almost like exhaustion on... How many like push-ups can I do as a finisher to my session, which is more sort of strength endurance based? Those two are very different failures, um, psychologically as well as physically. They're going to be different in terms of what's potentially going to happen in my technique when I'm doing them. Um, and also the the strength adaptation that I'm that I'm looking for and going after. So I don't know if you want to pick up on on that from the those the difference between those two strengths.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that. that, that key point is, and, and often when people say, uh, we get questions like, "What is the best session? What is the best training program? What's the best exercise?" And well, I want so to get times- strong,
0: Tim, yeah. and it's like, but what, what do Like, what one person thinks is strong or strength is potentially different to another person.
1: And, and so many times, you've if you've listened to the podcast or any of our content for a while, you'll have heard the answer. It depends, <laughs> and and this is another one of those where it comes down to the understanding that there are no real absolutes in training because it very much depends on what you want as a result of it. So, let's flip it right back to the beginning and, and understand that we have, we will get specific adaptation to whatever we stress, we place our bodies under. Specific adaptations impose demand. The said um, principle. So, if you train heavy, you get better at lifting heavy weights. If you train a lot of volume, you get better at lifting weight for for increased dur- durations or longer sessions or endurance effectively. So when it comes to training to failure, it's important to understand what adaptation are we seeking because our desire to go and train that close to the red zone, as you put it, is actually going to be determined potentially by what we want as a result of it. So a really nice example, I think, to contextualize this is actually isometric training, which we do a lot of. But if you go and look at some of the, the principles and, and the um, the approaches to isometric training, If you're going to go and do, say I'm going to do a tuck planche hold, if my maximum tuck planche hold is about 12 seconds or 13 seconds, the advice is to go and train that for about 8 to 10 seconds. So you're training submaximal. And the whole point for that is it means I can then go and do four to six repetitions at that intensity. If my max effort hold is 13 seconds... I'm not going to get that many sets out at 13 seconds. I might only get three before I drop down. And then just because out of fatigue, I'm only doing 10, 11 seconds or 10 or whatever, which if I compare that total amount of volume of, I've done three 13 second holds versus six, 10 second holds, which I can do because it's submaximal, the total time under tension or exposure of stimulus that I've given myself for that exercise is considerably higher. So that's the one thing within a session, like how are you going to accumulate volume? And the same would, would apply. Say you're going to go weighted pull-ups and you're going to try and hit six repetitions. Well, if you've got so much weight on that for the first set you hit six, but that means you can only do four for the next few sets, then you've compromised like what the, what the total amount of work was that you needed to get done in that set or on that set of sets. Um to 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 get the adaptation that you were you were looking for. So that's the first thing of understanding what do I want to achieve and if I do and how am I going to structure my work or my workout so that I can accumulate the right amount of volume. Some of the research will suggest that if you train to failure or you train submaximally and you say, so you, let's take for example that failure is at 10 and then you go and train eights. If you do three sets of 10 if you, if you do the same amount of volume at eights, so you've done the same amount of work, but it's not to failure, you're still going to get the same adaptation from a strength perspective. Um, it just, it just might mean that you've had to do an extra set or whatever to, to, to
0: match those, those total amount of work. Yeah, yeah. So you get the same number of reps totally done. It's just the intensity is slightly different and you're just a smidge off
1: failing. Yeah. And I think that that also then comes with a caveat of like going, well, it's 10 reps set, so actually I don't mind doing four. So I'm just going to do loads of fours yeah. like because you're not really pushing the muscle that hard. And and that's where you've got to balance this, this out with the the specific adaptation to impose demand. The body won't make a response unless we start to push it to a level where it's uncomfortable. So you can't get stronger by doing four reps yeah. of of a pull-up if you can do... 10 if that's what your goal is to to actually get stronger um if you're trying to train volume and you do 10 sets of four like in a cluster that might lead you more to more hypertrophy adaptation but if your objective is to build pure pulling strength then you you might not necessarily have the same adaptation it's it's gonna be more valuable to think that i've got to start to train close to that red line you can't just kind of so you, I guess what I'm trying to say is you're balancing intensity versus volume yeah.
0: the whole time. And I think it's probably comes down to or it's just making me think of what I first tried to to mention. That the difference between that scale of strength in terms of repetitions of whether it's if it's more, as you said, like you're trying to get maximally strong for pull-ups is going to be different to sort of your strength endurance of being able to do more reps um, so stay on the pull up example, rather than me trying to increase the number, the, the amount of weight I could do for additionally to my body weight as a weighted pull up where I'm going to be probably doing reps between one to five reps in terms of staying in my maximum strength ranges compared to me doing maybe volume work and cluster work or something to increase the total number of reps I can do of just my body weight. The difference in failing at those two intensities I see as very different um, that, you know, in terms of more being on that endurance scale of being able to do more reps when the the, the load that you're moving is even though our technique may falter under fatigue still, it's not quite as demanding slash dangerous. As when we're trying to load up and get stronger, that's my one of my. If we talk about pros and cons, the cons of um, training to failure around some of that, like right, really high, hard max strength stuff, is twofold in balancing that that get that sort of fine line of maintaining good quality technique and form. And then also the potential, and because that could lead to potential injury risk if we're moving them poorly or compensating. And then how long does it take us to recover from that? So as you were saying, from a um, the total volume of work done in one session, saying that if you're doing eights, you just might have to do another set compared to doing tens, that's like what's the impact of not going to failure in set one, set two, and set three allows you to do a good Good quality work in set four. So on the micro of one session, it's almost think bigger than that as well. What is it like if I absolutely smoke myself on Monday? What does that look like then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday session, and then go bigger than that again? What if I smoke myself in week one? How is that affecting me uh, at the back end of my training block in that month? And then you go from months to years, and you know you've taught you. Probably, I'll probably let you get do the analogy when you're talking about analogy of. Uh, recovering from digging holes like if I'm I can be I can be sort of fatiguing myself and I've got to create a level of fatigue to create adaptation but how much I do what's the impact of that on my next session my next week my next month and that's going to have the biggest impact on us that are non-professional sportsmen and women looking to train for moving better enjoying ourselves and yes getting stronger but in the context of I've got my whole life that I want to live injury pain-free and everything that the amount of work that I can do over a longer period of time is going to help me progress more than trying to just max out in one session. Is uh, That's my sort of personal view on it at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think the recovery the recovery point is, is massive and that's one of the, probably the biggest significant drivers in, in this conversation. And if you think about bodybuilding is a good example. International Chess Day, Monday. What are you going to do? Bench, flies, cables, rows, pullovers, whatever. And then what else are you going to do? Triceps. So I'm going to <laughs> smoke them as well. Like, so And they've been working the whole time. Probably guns as well. Yeah, well, probably. But you, you might go and spend, some people will go and train in like chest and triceps, for example, or back and biceps for an hour or an hour and a half. Like, And then they won't do it until next International Chest Day on Monday. So they're giving that seven days rest. Some of the, the research around developing muscle mass now is sort of suggesting actually we want to be given these regular doses throughout the week so rather than than creating a a protein synthesis uh, response from a monday chest session and then waiting till monday next week until we do it again or maybe on friday can we create smaller doses of stimulation which means that actually we're going to come do a total body session on a monday and on a wednesday and on a friday and the intensity that you can put together in those sessions is actually really good so you're, you're nudging that that protein synthesis and and I think they sort of suggest that you're going to get a protein synthesis response for maybe 48 hours or something like that afterwards. They suggest from a nutrition perspective that you should elevate protein intake 48 hours after workout to continue to provide the the substrates. But
0: um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm smiling because I'm imagining if you're a dude listening to this now or a dudette and you really love International Chest Day on a Monday... It, what Tim isn't saying is do International Chess Day on Wednesday and Friday and Monday as <laughs> yeah. well. That's, I was well, just thinking oh, so what you're saying is I should just do bench more often have <laughs> you
1: seen the training program that I first used when I was in <laughs> Australia
0: because that was pretty much what it was I definitely didn't do I did I did International Abs Day every day yeah. I never did International Chess Day and therefore oh, you missed out. It's I a good time. bullied for having a small <laughs> chest
1: <laughs> So there is, we're sort of throwing a lot in the mix and what I really want to do from this conversation is kind of like, like filter it down so that you've actually got some some good takeaways. So we're, we're talking about with the recovery aspects of how hard you train. If you're going to go and smash it to failure, then that's going to come at a bigger cost. You're going to have to spend more time recovering. It, might, it doesn't mean you can't come and train in that position again. You're just not going to get the same level of intensity out. And what, what Jackie referenced before was around every time you go in the gym, you imagine you're at your baseline. And you're going to do some work and that's going to mean you're going to dig a hole. You need to allow that hole to fill back in, to get back to your standard baseline and preferably a super compensation, which is better than you were before because the body said, right, I like equilibrium. You've stressed me. I don't like being stressed. So what I'm going to do is get a little bit stronger. So next time you do that to me, I'm not going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be within my capabilities. Um, What we do in training is then go and dig another hole once we've super compensated. Just And the point is to understand that the, the more training you do, the more work you do, the deeper that hole gets and therefore the longer it takes to fill it back in to get back to your super compensation point. So there's a real logical point of putting these these smaller doses in of going, I'm going to train a bit, I'm going to do a really good job for my recovery, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to improve. That might mean that we then can get these over a period of time, again, as Jacko said, that over weeks, months, and then like potentially years, We're just continuing that upward trend, as opposed to digging a massive hole, which a lot of people do. Don't feel like they're getting any better. They get worn down. They get some of the symptoms of sort of overreaching, um, which is the phase before overtraining. We just need that. Like it's not overreaching is not dangerous in that sense. Overtraining is 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 a significant issue, um, which we won't go into today. But overreaching is good. We want to stress the system but we also we have to allow it time to regenerate and recover otherwise we never get the performance adaptations that we actually need and and we see that all the time with people just addicted to training yeah well we've
0: been there ourselves as well I've been there where you um you might say as you say like addicted to training or you just you you're not you're training really if you're training really hard and you're working really hard and you're going in the red zone and you don't feel like you're getting any better and any strength gains it 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 can't be anything other than the fact that you're not recovering or you're breaking down i
1: see that all the time people that maintain a really high level but they just smash elbows knees like just in bits and
0: you might the reason you might there could be a whole host of like health and wellness reasons as to why you're not recovering better i'm not suggesting that it's what it is but the fact that you aren't and then it makes me think around um the word respect like as you're as you're explaining that there, going well we need to respect the session i've just done if i've done an awesome session and i've and i've absolutely smashed it and i feel good afterwards in terms of but i know that i've like been in the red zone i need to respect that and give it to do something about my, to try and aid my recovery if I want to train again relatively quickly. Um, and then also it brings into the, all those other external factors that are going on in your life as well. Right, respect those as well. They're all stresses, work, life, family, whatever it is. They're all stresses as well as your training being a stress. And we need to accept and respect where we're at because they're all going to have an effect on our recovery. Which then goes twofold that when you do, um, I did a session on, um, Sunday, was not feeling great. So I took it a bit easy and actually had done a really good session upper body wise uh, at the end of last week. And I gave my body rest and just played around with some low body stuff and just respected where I was at and wasn't doing it and didn't do stress the system too much, which then I'm hoping then this week is going to allow me to then get back in again and do something good.
1: Yeah. I went through a block before and I'll go back to doing the same thing where I'm doing 30 minute sessions, but every day, but, and, th- and that's, I'm giving these nudges and I'm doing different movements, different patterns. Um, but in 30 minutes, I can't absolutely whack something unless I go, all I'm going to do is just dips for 30 minutes. And even then, like, depending what the intensity is, and I'm going to pull this back so that we've got these takeaways in a minute, but I'm just giving myself these micro doses. And what was happening was I was getting stronger and I was feeling good about like what I look like. And some of that is a psychological thing of like, actually just feeling like I'm training a lot, which I like. Um, so you, you you don't don't I guess the the point is don't feel like you've got to go in the gym and absolutely come out buried um, to make improvements because as Jacko says, respect everything else that's going on and I think the other thing about people if you're finding if you're somebody who if if training is making you worse and 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 by that I mean not necessarily performance decrease but if training is causing you to be in pain you've got knee problems elbow problems then you're doing something wrong. And and I, and I don't care what anybody says, like, oh no, that's how you train hard, it's just part of training hard, no, no. Your system isn't able to handle what you're inflicting upon it. You sh- and, and if you uh, if you continue to train in that red zone and you have to put knee straps on and elbow straps all the time, my point would be, I'm gonna question pretty like strongly like whether you're actually got the right balance of between work, intensity, recovery, and volume and the mental health thing of why you're putting yourself yeah. in that situation. And, it, and you
0: might be, it might be the way you're moving is, you might be moving some poor patterns as well that's what's actually causing it. So it could be a whole host of things. I guess, as Tim said right early door, some of this stuff is going to come down to, it depends. And um, on that note, I did want to throw in there then like we're talking, that whole last section has been very much based around like the assumption that people are uh, going in the red zone a train's failure, that's someone that's probably training a number of times a week and that I guess the overriding um, answer to that was sort of be careful of how, what your dose is like. It reminds me of when we were with Sam Olden, the Olympic gymnast, and he trains like twice a day, six days a week or something. And he, he said like, well, I can't come in and smash myself on Monday morning, so I've got to come back in Monday night and Tuesday morning. Um, and so that, that that just sort of rings home. And that's with, uh, you know, that's a, a professional gymnast. Um, talking about not going into into the red zone, but then if you've got somebody else, say that is um, can only train once or or twice a week. We had someone come to the retreat, John, who um, because of his work and his his own personal uh, circumstances, he trained like Monday and Tuesdays. That was all he could do, and he did push on a Monday and pull on a Tuesday. Now, if he just went in Monday, Tuesday, and just tickled himself on push and tickled himself on pull. And didn't actually have that intensity that actually the question around training to failures got is 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 he going to make the the same progress as actually if he's only going a bit like your international chest day example of going well you got seven days to recover then actually yeah you can probably go go a bit closer to that red zone and push it just make sure we're not pushing it to the point where we I think my biggest thing about training to failure is not pushing it to the point where you literally fail and like your shoulder shuts down on you and you have been it up. Like that's, that's the, that's always my worry with people.
1: I think it's getting
0: into that, that point of
1: balance where when is it appropriate? And when is it not? So, if you're going to come into a gym, so let, I said, let's try and get these into some takeaways for you. So if you're going to come in and go, my set on the program today, you're in the virtual classroom and, and we've got a um, Of course <laughs> you're in the virtual
0: Why wouldn't you be in the virtual classroom? <laughs> you've, got,
1: you've got eight reps and four sets, which is a common protocol that we use as part of a strength endurance superset potential, maybe a hypertrophy. Yeah, and you're following of one of the
0: weekly programs that tells you exactly, yeah, what, exactly what you need what you to do every to do. week. Yeah.
1: So what, what, what we're interested in you being able to do in that example is be able to do eight repetitions, four times off a 60 to 90 second rest period. If you can't because you start off too heavy and your last set is like a three, then we might question whether actually you've gone too hard to start off with. It could be an endurance issue, but either way, what we're trying to get you to do is accumulate that total amount of work of eight reps and four sets. Sometimes we'll sort of suggest that you might, okay, if 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 your technique starts to break down, cluster it so your last set could be eight repetitions but you do a five a two and a one with a 10 second break in between you're still accumulating that volume you're just tweaking the rest period a little bit just to give yourself these intra set rests which allow you to complete the total amount of work which goes back to the point before of actually not going oh my last set was a three i meant to do eight but i failed so i didn't complete the volume we're suggesting that the intensity might need to tweak a little bit and the same would apply as if you're in a in a um a weight training environment where you go, it's bench press today. You might put more weight on if you feel you can. You might take some off. There's those adjustments to do. That's where the the, the, the nod goes back to having an understanding of your percentage repetition max and the intensity. And the whole point of us testing baseline of going, what is your maximum number of, um, maximum weight you can do for a squat? Let's take that as a really simple example. Let's for arguments say it's 100 kilos if we're going to know that to get eight repetitions out that's roughly going to be an 80% rm we were going to put 80 kilos on the bar which means that we can then do four uh, four sets of eight at that intensity and and if it's a good if it's a good one or three repetition max test those numbers are pretty reliable if you're working with with people they become a little bit difficult from a from a calisthenics perspective you can test your one rm pull up and then work them off those those same kind of variables but the point i want to make is that If it's a volume set, like eight times four, we're looking to get a total amount of work done. If you're trying to improve maximum strength, so like it might be for your muscle up, for example, I actually really want you to hit those numbers at that intensity. So if it's a three or a four rep set, the king thing that we're looking for there is to get those repetitions out because you're gonna get a long rest period afterwards. So those are the points where actually, where where if it says four reps on the program, that fourth rep needs to be the last one, but if you can't do four and it's only three, so therefore you've failed by our, our definition we said at the start. You've got too much weight on, so you've got to drop it down. So you're playing in this kind of variables of going. I need to hit that sweet spot to get the intensity right, the technique right, and to get the um, and to complete the amount of work that's going to give me the adaptation that I want for maximal strength development. If it's about volume or or, or developing muscle mass volume is the driver so can I push into the red zone there you probably don't need to just as much you just got to achieve a certain amount of work Um, and then again throwing into underlying all of that is how you then are going to recover we wouldn't do max strength lower body with an athlete three times a week You just can't because they'll nearly be fried
0: we wouldn't go like we'd periodize when we're going in the what I would deem the proper red zone like with with rich white said the Um, 200 meter Paralympic runner who's getting ready for Tokyo like I now pretty much take him to the apps maybe twice a year that's about it of of like proper him like showering the house down we're screaming we're slapping each other and we're like going crazy there's oil (laughs) that's maybe once or once or twice a year oil Oil. (laughs) (laughs) that's daily (laughs) and uh and, and then, and then you see the effect of that in terms of like what the recovery is like, and we respect that. And then we see what, um, the, the effect is like are then on, in terms of performance, it's often like a two, three or four week delay of then actually running like a blisteringly hot, like fast, sorry, um, 200 meter time or times in training. Um, Because that recovery has happened. And I think that I guess one uh, overarching thing for me, uh, advice for people that's not even advice, I'm just with you in it, that um, when you're training yourself and you are your own coach effectively, whether you're following in the virtual classroom or not, you get to decide when you train or not. Whereas when you've got a coach, like I used to get told, no, Jacko, you're not trained today because we had some markers that would say you're too fatigued, and I'd be gutted, and I'd like try and convince the trainer that I was all right, so I didn't want to go away and wanted to train. Whereas uh, so having someone else dictating your rest for you actually works really well. When you it's your own and you've got to take that discipline yourself, and you can decide to train potentially when you shouldn't. That that's that's where you just need to, I say. Listen to your body is one and then what went said before, like right? respect the work that you've done. Um keep a log of what you're doing so you know and like give it give give a set like RPE is something we're not talking about. Give yourself a um a scale of like, you know, 10 B and like I absolutely goose myself and have a little bit of a keep a bit of a diary and record of like um how hard or how close to failure, say you're going. So that you can, you can try and look after yourself and map that out for you a little bit. We need to, um, if you, you know, I'm sure 99% of us are not being coached by someone else and therefore we need to take that role a little bit, um, ourselves and ask yourself the question, like you'll know, you'll know now and ask this, like, are you training too hard or are you not training hard enough? Or you might be right in the middle in the sweet spot. And if you're in the sweet spot, great. You're probably a virtual question. But you'll know that deep down, you'll know the answer to that. I know when I'm training too hard and I just need to listen to myself.
1: There's a philosophy around that that we've, I've, I've always talked to with athletes and I talk about it with them a lot. of saying you need to do the least amount of work to get the most amount of change. Yeah. Because any more work that you're doing, which is not adding significant value from an adaptation perspective, is just increasing the amount of time we've got to recover.
0: I think psychologically, people just find it hard to train smart like we know we should train smart even charles but
1: poliquin i think so i think i'm going to quote him right it says if you're in the gym for more than an hour you're making friends like and it i've got it's, loads of mates the gym. but th- there is that point of just understanding the art of, of all of yeah. this and how it fits together um so i think it's th- the point is to take away is and understand what it is that you're trying to achieve yeah understand if what exercises you're going to select within that program so you might go heavy pull-ups is it then sensible to do like really hard something else in a vertical (laughs) pulling pattern if you've absolutely red zoned it and think about the total amount of work that you're trying to achieve even in that maximal strength where we want to go hard there's still four five six sets volume is still an important component it just happens to be at higher intensity if you're doing three sets of 10 do the pick a progression or a position where you can train those 10 repetitions and i've said this over the years like if you can do 12 weights too light for the adaptation that we're looking for, if you can do eight, it's too heavy. So like if we're aiming for 10, pick a position which you can do 10 and that you can do three times and you should be pretty much finished by the end of that set. You might have got capacity for another exercise. It's probably... But it's just mapping out, it's it's, it's playing averages as opposed to kind of throwing everything on the table in one set and thinking, well, that was a great set. Well, I've got four more to do that I can't
0: actually finish. Yeah, and it's probably a different... It's probably a little bit of like what someone what failure looks like and means like in someone's head compared to actually what you mean from a strategic strength training point of view around what that failure should look like. Um, And and I guess the, the, my final point is, take-home point is then taking that as that sort of micro process that tim said around how much are you going to do in that one session because of the effect on doing loads of hard stuff going to failure on lots of things how's that going to affect the rest of the session just build that out again and go like okay i, I did a really good session on monday it was 10 out of 10 on my, on my rpe like in terms of um uh, uh, of effort that i've put in and i've gone i've gone to failure what's that how are you then structuring the rest of your week because of that? What are you doing about your recovery because of that? And then after you've done weeks, what does your month look like? And just making sure that it fits into a bigger picture. It's not just, you know, if you if you if you get in your car and you put the you put your foot to the floor, at some point you run out of petrol. Yeah, <laughs> you got to you got to ease off at times. You got to stop at times. You have got to fill it back up.
1: I think as well, it's never a perfect process. So I, I would, for example, for my own training, if I go in the gym and I'm going to go handstand push-ups, for example, and I'm, I'm targeting six repetitions or eight on a deficit, if I can't hit that first set, like I, I then have a decision to make. And it's not like I've just, oh, crack, I've just ruined it. Like if I was aiming for eight, but I can do six on any given day because of all the stuff that I've got going on, I'm probably just going to do sixes because I know if I try and do 8s so I've got to then... Um, increase that, uh, the, the, the risk of my technique breaking down is higher. So I might just go sixes, but rather than four sets, I might do five. Like my total volume is going to be higher, like significantly by, by a few reps.
0: You're very good at that, of like coming in, depending on how something is going once you've warmed up, you'll make an assessment and go, okay, well I said I was going to do this, but actually today it's going to look like this. And that could be the other way around, like actually, it feels amazing. So actually I thought I was going to do this thing, but actually, yeah. I'm going to ramp it up and play around with this. Other things feel great today, and but equally being able to shift it because you know, I've been in the gym with you before, and you were like, You're wanting to do like you know, work on your like, freestanding hands down push ups, which takes a lot, like cognitively and skill based as well as the strength thing. And just like after warm up a couple of goes and just weren't feeling it and went, "Man, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go like deficit pike push ups because I can know I can smash them out. Mm. and... Um, it's just it's just a different um, level of intensity for me. And yeah, I think co- that's something that people can learn so much from.
1: Because f- failure at that point is not being able to do a handstand push-up, which I know I've got in the, in the locker. Yeah. But that for that day, from a cognitive perspective, a skill perspective, I can't do it. So the, the continually trying to do it and failing is still training to failure. But what I know I can do is something of an easier progression, and it's going to... I think that's just the maturity of going. Oh, I know I can still do it. Yeah. I don't need to. Uh, there's so many people who get stuck in that skill process of going. I've got to convince. I've got to can, yeah. I've got to tell myself I can do it.
0: Someone did a ring muscle up the other day, and he, he sent a message. He was like, "I try, went back in the gym and tried to do it, and I can't do it anymore. Have I lost it?" It's like, no, you just don't. Just like fatigue. You've just redefined. You've just yeah. redefined it impossible. Relax. Yeah, you went.
1: You you were right in the red zone. Like, but
0: wait, that's then the the psychological game comes into it, and actually, I think that's one of the things I love about calisthenics is that, like yes it challenges us psychologically but that actually then helps us with the right support around you um develop psychologically as well Mm. and be stronger mentally
1: whilst we know you're probably really enjoying the podcast there's something else that we think you will also really
0: enjoy is the virtual classroom if you're a beginner we have got an eight week free beginners program designed to help you start your calisthenics journey where you're going to learn how to move better get superhuman strong and have a lot of fun along the way if you're ready to
1: take your training to the next level and learn some of the iconic calisthenics movements like a fog to handstand or a muscle-up then inside the virtual classroom you are going to find all the training programs and educational information that you need But rather than keeping you from the podcast for any longer than necessary, head over to schoolofcalisthenics.com where you're going to find a bodyweight training resource which is different to anything else available anywhere.
0: Tim, I think they're ready to get back to the podcast.
1: So my big takeaway to sort of wrap this one up is just to start off with, we talked about it a lot and you could be sat there going, oh crikey boys, that's like, it sounds like there's a lot going <coughs> on and, and there is a, f- a number of different variables around this but as Jacko made a really good point there about individualization is really important but start with, and if you do nothing else, just clarify what are you trying to achieve. Understand what you're working towards and when you sit down, if your list looks like flag, muscle up, handstand push up, um, front lever, planche, yeah, all, I want all those now. Like you need to go back and just revise that list of going. You can't, you cannot do all those things at the same time. So typically I've got one really hard thing that I'm working on or at the moment I'm not working on anything hard. But I'm pushing some more like volume stuff. But if you're looking to try and progress your calisthenics in specific movements, have a hard thing and have something which is just going to tick over. And that's why we often, when people come to a workshop, we'll say, Train, "If you want to do flag and handstand, or just start your handstand training, because it's going to take you a long time anyway, and it's very skill based. So you can do a skill high skill movement alongside a high strength movement, but don't try and put too many high strength movements in when you've also got to teach yourself a new movement pattern." And then understand when you've written it down, so that might be for you, human flag, that's my thing, or muscle. That's what I really want to work towards. Think about what the physical attributes are that you need to do. Can you do a base level amount of pull-ups? Have you got decent pulling strength? If you haven't, then train volume and just make sure that you're getting eight reps, ten reps, whatever it is across three or four sets. Build that volume, but don't feel like you're gonna go out there and do six the first set, and then all of a sudden you can't you're gonna do threes for the next kind of two, three sets. If you think you need more strength, then go after that and go hard. Like push those things difficult. If it's a three or four rep set and you've got an extra bit of weight around your waist or whatever it looks like, if you're trying to improve peak force, then you can push into the red zone in that. But your training to failure you should still be able to hit those numbers. But just think about how many times a week you're going to try and do that to yourself because your recovery is really important in that. And then the last point just to kind of finish that continuum Power is a great example of this of not trained to failure because of the adaptation. Often we do some stuff on our Kaiser machine. It's an air air resistance effectively, so we get very smooth resistance with the, with the with a cable. So you can push some real good power kind of positions, and it gives you a percentage readout. So if your first rep is say it throws up a number, you've hit like I think it's in I don't know if it's in watts or whatever, but like eight hundred, let's say it will then give you a percentage of what that is unless you go higher. And what we'll tell athletes is when you're doing this set, you need to stay within 90% of your peak. So if you're not going faster, if you're starting to drop off through fatigue, if you go below 90%, stop the set. Because you, at that point of the physical adaptation that we're looking for, which is rate of force production, if you're below 90, you're just not you're not you're giving you're yourself the stimulus. Basically, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're better off just kind of counting that set Having a rest and coming back to it. And it, it comes back to the whole thing is just making sure that what you're doing is quality and you're training intelligently. Um and I think there's probably way more than people are gonna need to listen through this once. There might be more than this might require a second listen. And I I always really wish that we could just go, this is what you do. You should should I train to failure? No. <laughs> but it's not that simple. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. But try and understand in your situation what that looks like. And ultimately, m- I've always used my training and myself as an experiment, and that's probably where as Jacko says before, I've got to a point where I know what works for me because yeah. I've been at the ends of these of the spectrum, and I, and I kind of know what it, what it looks like.
0: Um, yeah. And that gives you context for your own training. I think if if someone if if someone's listening to the, the listeners of the podcast will not be surprised. Sorry, I've got a bit of sniffles. Not be surprised that it wasn't a one word answer, and I think that if. If we, if this was a five second podcast and you just answered, just went, no.
1: But then, answer me, but it depends. Then, <laughs> Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> tuning in again next
0: week. <laughs> I don't think people would uh, appreciate that. So hopefully you've, um, found it insightful and you're encouraged to go away and sort of explore it for yourself and, uh, try to understand, you know, we're, we're basically encouraging you to understand your own training, your own bodies and your own, um, Programs that you're working through a little bit, a little bit better. And if you had questions about train to failure, you have some sort of uh, clarity to to go on with that. Um, so, with uh, a massive thank you for listening, as ever, we would love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or wherever you w- listen to and watch. Wherever you listen to the podcast, um, and we really appreciate uh, your support and listening. If you enjoyed the sort of uh, one topic. Expanded um, podcast version. Do let us know. Um, sort of send us a message on Instagram is a good place to find us if you're not on there yet. Uh, get onto Instagram, School Calisthenics, and you'll find us there. Um, share this with anyone that you think is. Needs it <laughs> whether they're I, training or whether they. One going- thing
1: I really like is when people share a screenshot of them listening to the phone to the podcast on their phone or in the car. Yeah, let
0: us know where you're listening. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Wh- let us know where you're listening to it. So
1: if you if if, if there's something you know that trains a failure too much. Or needs this information. Screenshot it. Send a photo. Put it on Instagram. Tag yeah, share it. on
0: stories. Tag them in it. Yeah, Go <laughs> listen to this, boys, boys and girls. So um, yes, no. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for that. And then uh, we will be looking at. We've got some amazing new guests coming on very very soon for you as well. We will. We're looking to have some of the 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 previous Q&A style that we've done before, but we're looking at adding these sort of bigger topics in as well. So we would like to hear from you and your feedback if that is something you'd like. And then if you do like that and go, ah, I've got a big topic for you, boom, drop some of those down on us and we will get tucked into them.
1: You can tell it's been a big topic because I feel we've been quite serious today.
0: Yeah, no, there hasn't been much joking, has there?
1: we both got cold, so we've got a serious tone on as well. (laughs) Have you got a gag to finish with? Uh No. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had one. Um, I think we should leave it there for today. Until next time.
0: Class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts, and we really do appreciate that.
1: We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, and give us a five star review. We like five stars. Four stars not as good. Keep it five stars. are
0: the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs>
1: And if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best Calisthenics
0: resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed.